you turn in your New Testaments to Mark chapter 1? Is there a call of God on your life? Is there? And where does it come from? That's the question I ask. Where does it come from? Is it based on a deep spiritual experience? Maybe a Christ event? You could go to a youth camp. You could go to an altar at a church. For me, a bedroom. Kneeling beside the side of a bed. Is it housed in the confirming words of spirit-filled leaders who said, I see the gifts and graces of ministry in your life. So not only does it come from God himself or a Christ event, but it comes from the words of the body of Christ. Maybe it's also shaped by the deep needs of a desperately broken society. Not only does Jesus call you by name, not only does the church recognize your gifts, but the world so desperately needs you that it calls out to you, please come, share what you know, share who you are, share the gospel of grace and peace. Mark, and all the gospels for that matter, really talk about there being two calls. Two calls to ministry. First, a call to a human cause, a human ideal, maybe what we would call an earthly agenda. And the second would be to, to be called to the king and his agenda. And almost always it starts with the first call, and then it leads to the second. Would you hear these words in Mark chapter 1, verse 14? After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets, and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Have you ever pondered the question, why? Why did they follow? What was it they knew about Jesus? And what was the expectation they had as they were following? What did they know about Jesus? And what was the expectation of life if they actually did abandon everything and follow him? The scriptures here in Mark chapter 1 are silent, aren't they? I find that kind of troubling. Come on now. It's the very first words out of Jesus' mouth. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe. That's the first thing he said. And these guys drop all of their careers and follow him. 
there must be something that they know that Mark is not telling us. Would you do me a favor? Keep your finger here in Mark and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. All of John 1, 2, and the first half of 3 all occur before John the Baptist was put into prison. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says, after John was put into prison. So everything in the first three and a half chapters of John's gospel actually occurs before the declaration that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 1 that the kingdom of God is at hand. John 1, 2, and 3 are part and parcel of what the disciples know about Jesus when he calls them. They are not making a blanket belief without any kind of facts or knowledge. Does that make sense? They already know a lot about Jesus. In John chapter 1, if you allow me to kind of push forward to chapter or to, to 1, verse 19. And now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent the priests and the Levites to ask him who he was, who John was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed free freely, I am not the Christ. And they want to know, who is he? And he says, I would not have known him unless the one who sent him, the Father in heaven, told me that the one whom the Holy Spirit comes upon and remains, he's the one. So first and foremost, the disciples know Jesus is the Holy Spirit-bearing man. That's who he is. He's the man filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't mistake that. The disciples know that clearly. And then in chapter 1, verses 29 through 52, there are seven, count them, seven titles of Jesus that are being declared to the disciples. He is, first of all, the Lamb of God. Second of all, he is the Son of God. Third, he is Rabbi. Fourth, he is Messiah. Fifth, he is the, the, son, the Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Sixth, he is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And seventh, climactically, he is the Son of Man upon which the angels ascend and descend into heaven. The disciples are not making a decision based upon a mere emotional event. They know very well precisely who Jesus is. John chapter 2, he does the first of his seven signs in John's gospel. Turns the water into wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. He then goes immediately from there into the temple where he cleanses the temple and declares, this house is to be my Father's house of prayer for all nations. And then he has his nighttime encounter with Nicodemus. Who is this man? He is the Spirit-filled Son of God that has come into the world. Which one of us would not come follow if he just simply asked, Brent, Come, follow me. Luke, 
come, follow me. Tyler, come, follow me. Who, of course, would turn him down? But, of course, the expectation is this. As we are looking back into what they expected, they clearly expected a Messiah who was going to come into the world and hear the words, take care of all of Israel's problems. This man is going to rise up as the son of David and he's going to cast out the Romans and then he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. That is the disciples' expectation. And he did not fail them. Because the first miracle he does in Mark's gospel is to cast out a demon. And then he begins to ramp up his charge. When the, the winds and the waves clash against the disciples, he calms them in a moment's notice. When people are hungry, he feeds them without question. When people are sick, there is no sickness in the presence of Jesus. There is not even any death in the presence of Jesus. When people are hungry, he feeds them. He feeds the 5,000 once. He feeds the 4,000 next. And that's just the men. Friends, there is nothing Jesus can't do, and the disciples are following him according to that agenda. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us about a second call. They are being called to a cause in the beginning. The cause is to set Israel free. And my friends, that is not a big enough agenda for the coming of the Messiah. His plans are so much more. It's not just to free a people. It's not just to free a nation. It is actually to recreate creation. So it actually is now under the lordship of God, not the lordship of the evil one. Do you see the difference? Often our initial call comes to a cause. And Jesus now, in Mark chapter 8, if you would turn there, he's not just calling us to a cause, he's calling us to him as the king. And you need to make a decision in your life as to whether or not you are just simply going to follow a cause, or you're going to be called to the very person of Jesus Christ and submit yourself to his agenda. Cause or kingdom? Choose you this day which calling you will follow. Mark chapter 8. Do not be surprised that right before the question that Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am, he actually heals a blind man. And it takes him two times to do it. And please don't think that that's because he was inadequate the first time, and needed a mulligan to do the second one. No. He heals the blind man the first time, and he sees, but all he sees is what appears to be trees that are walking. In other words, he can only see partially, just like we can only see partially. We see a good cause. We see a good agenda, but we don't see things the way Jesus does. But what about you, Jesus asked in verse 29. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, 
You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He is saying, shut up. Do not talk about me as being the purveyor of the cause that you've bought into. That is not what I am about. I could be, but that is not my Father's will. I am not about a cause. I am about the coming kingdom. Don't sell me short on what I can accomplish, not just in your life, not just in this place, not just in this country, but in the entire creation itself. I have come to redeem everything. And if you only follow a cause, you will be settling in your life for second best. He is calling you to him as king and his kingdom reign. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, rise again. And he spoke to them clearly about this. And Peter rebuked him. Peter rebuked Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. I like the cause we're following. I like hungry people being fed. I like blind people being able to see. I like lame people being able to walk. And I think Jesus would also be saying, I want that too, but so much more. Peter says, I will have nothing to do with a kingdom agenda that includes the death of the king. And Jesus then looks at the 12 and turns to Peter and says, get behind me. For you do not have in mind the things of God. Instead, you have in mind the things of humans. You are thinking according to your cause. Stop it. If you only follow a cause, listen carefully, Jesus is calling that satanic. It's less than the kingdom call. Stop it. And then, are you ready for your call? You've all been called once. And now, you don't need more information. What you need is an interpretation of the call. Have, are you there in the semester now? You're saying, please, please, no more information. I can't keep everything in my head that you've already given me. You're right. This is not about information. This is about interpretation. This is a kingdom call. He called the crowds to him. This is his way of saying, disciples, you shut up. And now I'm calling everyone to the table. He called the crowd and said this, if anyone, not just you 12, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me.
Listen, you thought you were being called to a cause. You misunderstood his words. And now, in Mark chapter 8, he is giving you a clear interpretation of what this means. You thought it was this, but if you want to follow after me, first thing you need to do is deny yourself. When my kids were younger, I desperately wanted to make decisions for them. Because I knew pretty much eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds pretty, make, pretty much make self-serving decisions, don't they? Whatever will make you feel good, whatever will give you the best experience, that's what I want. So I desperately wanted to make decisions for them. Jesus will not do that. Have you noticed as you're reading through the Gospels that the winds and the waves must obey Jesus? They don't have a choice. Food, as Jesus declares food to divide, it doesn't have a choice. It must. When evil spirits are hovering around or in someone, Jesus commands it and it must leave. Everything comes under the authority of Christ Jesus, with one exception, you and me. He will not command you to do something that is not your will. So here's his call to you. If any of you want to come after him, you must deny yourself. You must make that choice. I can't make it for you. Christ won't make it for you. You must choose. I want to set aside my agenda and thinking like humans. Instead, adopt the kingdom agenda and Christ's values. You must deny yourself. And then you must take up your cross. Would you be surprised to know that this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where the word cross even occurs? Jesus doesn't even comment on it about being his way of death. It's the very first thing. You must decide for yourself that you will suffer the shame of the kingdom in the midst of culture. First, you must deny yourself. Second, you must pick up your cross, not his, your cross. And then you can follow him. And please don't read that as three separate things. It is all one thing. Denying yourself, cross-bearing, and following all are the same thing. I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know if you're shocked by that that Jesus probably had an initial call on your life. It was a call to a place, Kingswood, a cause, 
but I'm here to tell you, that's not the call that he has on you now. The call that he has on you now is a call to a person, Jesus Christ. And for you to lay down your agenda and take up his. Deny yourself and die and find your life in him. Are you called this morning? And which call are you following? The Mark chapter 1, I'm following a cause. Or Mark chapter 8, I'm following a king. And even a king that doesn't look like a king. And a king that actually looks like he's going to fail. But you will follow him wherever he goes. No matter what the cost and you will be transformed to look just like him. So this morning, if I can, can I give, not a call, but a charge? Can I give a charge to three different groups of people here this morning? First, a call to you interns. And I'm not going to say, as you go out, make us proud. Boy, that would be way too lame. <laughs> I'm going to say this. Honor your calling. Honor your calling. You are not called to a cause. You are called to a king. So serve the Lord as Christ, not as anything else, as Christ. You know, I... Uh, I imagine if you have a conversation with Tyler Sears, with Seth Fancy, after service, you will know that there is nothing I can do to create an atmosphere here that will mimic the brokenness of lives in the local church. I, I, I can't create that. So I need the local church as a place to send you out in which to serve. If you're a student teacher, I need a classroom with the, the brokenness of lives that are there, that all the counseling services that you've learned while you're here will be called to bear on that. And you will know when you are a pastor, when you take the responsibility for somebody else's spiritual formation and the care and the nurture of their souls. So interns, be men and women of prayer in the word because you've got nothing else to fall back on. The second group of people, for those of you that are sophomores and juniors, I want you to take note that in the spring, our campus is going to have a leadership vacuum. Did you notice that this morning as the interns knelt at the altar? There will be 25 leaders from our campus that will be gone. They will be going out. But see, this is by kingdom design because we are a sending institution, but we're also a discipling institution, which means this. As 25 interns go out to serve, I am calling you, sophomores and juniors, to rise up 
and to take the void that is left by the interns that are leaving. I want you to act and to think biblically, to have the mind of Christ. I want you to deny yourself for the sake of others because, friends, people are watching. This summer, I had a great privilege. Pastor A.J. Plasier, who serves at Corbett Avenue Church over in Fredericton, he asked me to come over and to dedicate his son Caleb to the Lord, and I did. And during that service, I stopped and I asked the congregation, here is young Caleb that we're about to dedicate to the Lord. Would you be pleased if Caleb actually grew up to look just like you? To talk like you? To act like you? To live like you? To love like you? Would you be pleased? No. Several people told me, I want him to be like Jesus. That's what you're called to be. So show them Jesus. So sophomores and juniors, there are first semester students that are watching. They want to know what a spirit-filled, Christ-like person looks like. Can I beg you? Show them. Rise up to the leadership void and show them. I want you to be a pastor now on campus. Not later, but now. Be all in. And then, to you first semester students, I'm asking you to follow Jesus. Not the cause, the kingdom. And... You may not know what that looks like. You may be just now sorting it out. So can I give you a challenge? Follow Jesus as I follow Jesus. If you don't know what to do, ask me. If you don't know what to do, ask President Gorvet. If you don't know what to do, ask your faculty, ask your staff, ask the juniors, ask the sophomores, what should I do? I want to be like Jesus. Follow Jesus as we are following Jesus. And I'm asking you to listen to his voice. Don't listen to the voice of the one that lies. Listen to the voice of the good shepherd. I'm asking you, not to abandon the call because it's hard. I am asking you to reject the superficial, surface-level call of a cause and take up the kingdom calling. You've learned in this first semester, this is not youth camp. And we have kingdom values that are so far removed from the culture, we don't want you to look like the world. I'm asking you, I'm begging you to trust us. As so we supply you with all that you need to fulfill your call. And I want you to know, I declare this morning, I am not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you 
what you need. Do you hear the difference? Yes, yes, I know the difference. But the interns will tell you when they are going out, there are things that they need in ministry. And that's what we promise to give you. I pray for your patience because we are an instant gratification society. We want it and we want it now. But my friends, you cannot microwave spiritual formation. It takes time and patience and faithfulness. And can I beg you first semester students, do not be distracted. The world has so many things to try to distract you from your kingdom call. Don't let that happen. So this morning, if you are a sophomore or a junior, I'm going to ask if you would stand, please. You saw the interns that were kneeling. As a sophomore or junior, when you come back in the spring, they're not going to be here. You will. And I'm asking you to now stand in the gap that is being left by the interns as they go out. So can I be so bold as to ask you to come forward and kneel at the altar? There may not be enough room. There are stairs that you can kneel on on either side. But if you would get up close to the altar, I would greatly appreciate it. And now, interns, your first act as pastors is to lay your hands on these men and these women and to call them to call them to faithfulness, to call them to self-sacrifice, to call them to be deniers of themselves and followers of Jesus. So interns, would you come forward and would you lay hands on your friends? I'm going to ask for Sarah Neary and Jared Wellborn the interns selected them as the two people to pray over the interns, or to pray over the sophomores and juniors as the interns pass their blessing on to them. And then I've also asked Pastor Seth Fancy to once again, if he would close us in our time of prayer and dedication for our campus.